I think that the playbook not only standardizes performance and customer experience, but I think the playbook also is something that uh, alleviates anxiety from everyone's experience, right? The anxiety of a sales rep showing up with confidence, they have answers, they have tools, and they have a methodical approach for controlling and containing conversation. The customer isn't going to be surprised by anything because they're going to have a buying experience where the next step is very clearly articulated each step that they take in the process, right? A playbook allows for that ironing out of that experience on both ends. And so it's going to be really critical, I would say, if you haven't thought about it. Hello and welcome to the EcomOps podcast. We believe that there is more than enough content focused on e-commerce marketing and not enough content celebrating the real heroes of e-commerce, those running the operation. Each week, we find and interview an e-commerce operations expert to share the secrets behind how some of this industry's most exciting businesses are run. I'm your host, Norbert Strappler, the CEO of SingSpider. Hello and welcome to another EcomOps podcast. Today, I'm so happy to talk with Luis, a sales enablement strategist and consultant dedicated to tech SaaS-based B2B professionals. So uh, welcome to the show, Luis. Great to have you. Thank you for having me, Norbert. I'm excited for the opportunity to connect with you. I'm happy to have you guys. Uh, this is really great to have a real sales guy here who can help us a bit to understand that better. But tell me a bit or tell us a bit about yourself and about what you're doing. What is the background? Why sales? Sales happened accidentally for me. I'm first generation, so I'm the first in my family to pursue education and pursue a career, first to ever start a business, right? And so I didn't have a blueprint or a roadmap or anything like that. And after trying a shot in careers in healthcare and careers in law, I stumbled into business after a friend said, I think you have what it takes to sell and you don't realize it. And so I went through my first ever tech or the cool business interview, corporate interview, went through eight rounds knowing nothing about sales or sales processes or how to sell. And uh, I got the job offer and it confirmed if nothing else, my capacity for selling myself. And so I walked on a path that took me through a journey I would never have anticipated. And I ended up being recruited to work on some of the most amazing sales teams for the most amazing companies. I've been recruited to work at companies like LinkedIn, Google, Uber, Tesla. I've also wow. worked for the British Broadcasting Corporation. So I've had this amazing experience selling different products and services to companies all over the world. And I've had an experience that has blown my mind. And I would say that I am entirely unconventional because un unlike most people's uh, perception of salespeople, I'm not sharky. I'm not pushy. I'm not super aggressive. I take a more consultative approach. And I think that's actually what's helped me in my career. And it's really very interesting to have a sales guy talking with you like this, like we are talking in this casual way. What, what does a sustainable sales culture mean to you? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think a lot of focus in the sales organization is around performance. And often we are so hyper nuanced in conversion rates, connect rates, and things of that nature that we forget that there's a prerequisite to performance and that's wellness. The ability for a salesperson to take care of their mental and physical health has a direct impact on how much revenue they can produce. And so I would say that when we think about the sustainability of a high performing sales culture, 
we want to think about all elements of psychological and physical well-being mm -hmm. and making sure that we're creating training that is inclusive, making sure that we're creating training that also guides reps on how to navigate very difficult conversations, perhaps when uh, they're dealing with irate customers, when they're met with discrimination from customers and things of that nature, or even being able to capture their own unconscious bias in the way that they deal with customers. And so I think that a sustainable culture has to be holistic in its approach and its consideration. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. What has changed, let's say, last 10 years in sales and how is sales working now compared to the past? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think virtual selling is not anything new. I think the acceleration of other industries adopting virtual selling has certainly happened in the last few years because of the pandemic and all the sort of economic ripple effect of that. Uh, but I've worked in the tech industry for almost 20 years and I've been uh, selling virtually using some of the tools that we use now for a while. Um, so I just want to contextualize that there's changes happening across every sort of sector and, and sort of different levels, because from my perspective, what's changed, not only, you know, have we, are we more centered around virtual selling, but we have more data than we used to. We have greater revenue intelligence. We can uh, better assess how it is that customers respond to different features or different value propositions, or even the ways that they hesitate or, or you know, communicate their concerns around investing in something, we can learn better, apply data, and then roll out either customer service experiences that are optimized, or even thinking about optimizing the way that we present the product or the service, or even thinking about optimizing the actual buying experience from the perspective of giving the rep better language and tools to help the customer. That is what I am seeing now is deeper leveraging of data to inform the way that sales is done. But then for smaller businesses that aren't in the tech space that are, are now adopting virtual selling and things of that nature, what I'm seeing is a shift in the customer's expectations, right? They are more willing to engage with the self-paced buying experience than they used to be. Mm -hmm. And there are moments where they're insisting on either that autonomy in the sales process, and they're more vocal about the micro moments where they do need that human touch or that assistance in the buying process. So I think those segments that are just stepping into the virtual selling sort of space and, and way of doing things are starting to learn new things about their customers they didn't know before. Okay, got it. How does embracing diversity revolutionizes sales and the overall customer experience? Thank you for that question. I think often we have uh, leaders with these global aspirations, serving billions of people, markets across here and there and everywhere. And we want to think about as a business, having that strategic foresight to make sure that these customers have the kinds of experience that they expect and they deserve. And that starts within the company In thinking about at the top, when we assess leadership, we often think about emotional intelligence, EQ, and then IQ being sort of like your intellectual capacity. I think that we also need to start considering cultural intelligence and finding ways of engaging leaders to think about their capacity and developing their capacity to take inputs from people that are different than them, 
to be able to have productive meetings with people at a table that may not even speak the same language, right? And thinking about how to navigate and create those kinds of productive collaborations. I think on an individual level, it's about your raising of your self-awareness and your communication style and engaging with the knowledge that already exists in the communities that are already vocal and welcoming and expanding your capacity for engaging with people that are different than you. If I can share an example, I worked with a company and one of their reps was having an issue and shared an example of a really turbulent conversation they were having with the customer. They called someone, a small business, cold call, and it happened to be a Jamaican-owned business and the gentleman on the line was speaking Patois. And the rep that called on them didn't understand what the gentleman was saying. And the knee-jerk reaction was to hang up the phone. Imagine that experience of, from the customer's perspective, having your day interrupted, someone trying to sell you something and then making no effort to even understand you. Imagine from the rep's perspective, feeling like I've completely failed at what I do and I didn't have the tools to even respond or react, right? Those are the things that we have to consider in terms of customer engagement. And when we develop strategies, when we develop training programs or even design product and services, we have to make those kinds of considerations for making sure that everyone has the experience that they deserve in these instances. And you mentioned something because of the language barrier. Is there anything, because the next question goes in that direction, you, you are in tech SaaS space already very long. How can technology positively impact sales culture? Is there even a technology where we had a language barrier to get and overcome this? There are certainly different translation tools and things of that nature. I think in the instance of the example I shared, uh, there was an opportunity to just slow down or even ask the customer to just repeat themselves, right? Um, I think that when it comes to the technologies that exist now, um, I think of revenue intelligence tools like Gong or Chorus.ai. These are really popular tools when we talk about tech and SaaS companies. They often implement these tools. They will record and transcribe sales calls and then using AI, analyze things like purchase intent, identify next steps to take with the customer and things like that. That kind of technology can certainly uh, improve productivity and performance. I think that's also, um, this is the tool that helped me uncover the example that I just shared with you, right? I think there's also an opportunity to listen more deeply across what's happening within a business or a sales team and then be able to, with examples and with data and, and, and samples of calls and things like that, be in a position to optimize mm -hmm. the, the policies and the programs and things. How, how do you typically come into a company and, and help them to optimize the sales process? What's your process on helping those mm -hmm. companies? Absolutely. You know, the way that I step in is there's a moment of listening and learning and just assessing the needs of the business. There's often a problem And I have to get to the root of that problem because that problem is usually surface mm -hmm. and it's usually rooted in lack of a policy, lack of a tool, lack of structure or strategy, right? But it's often pinned on, oh, we can't seem to get this to work, right? Because of something else. You know? So I have to stop everyone and just like really explore and diagnose the problem. Then I, based on the tools that are available, looking at the players on the team, I'll then come up with the strategy to say, okay. We're stepping in, we want to improve the culture around sense of belonging and around performance as well. 
We're starting with a survey at the top needs analysis with the leadership. Then we have to survey the reps. What is it that they expect from their day-to-day experience, right? Let's understand from their uh, perspective where the misalignment or the lack is. And then after that, putting together a detailed sort of plan in place to say, okay, we're going to start with a series of training for leadership before we train the, the reps. Because we have to make sure that the leaders have the language, the frameworks, the methodology, and the confidence to implement the changes to sustain the culture. Then we do the rollout with the reps. That's when we start looking at performance training, implementing processes, making sure that their goals are clear. The resources that are available to them are very clearly communicated and easily accessible. And then also making it clear what's expected of them relative to performance and pacing them towards that performance. And then at the end, of course, it's all about data points, right? So we're either assessing the reps so that we can see their progress over time or certifying them behaviors and competencies just to make sure that everyone's aware of the opportunity to either learn or develop from there. But that's the approach end to end. It is very data driven and it's also driven by the people within the company. Lots of inputs from the teams themselves. This sounds like a very long process. <laughs> how, <laughs> how long does something like this take to be implemented in a good company? Yeah, I think if there is uh, an appetite for acceleration, we can certainly get a strategy and get the operational sort of muscles in place within three months. Yeah. I think the change energetically and culturally where you can feel like you're part of a team that is humming the way that you want it to, that's a much longer process. And that is really on, on the company, right? If there's a lot of transition and leadership, pivoting and strategy and things like that, it makes it difficult to anchor the culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I would say that it is a commitment for sure. It's very interesting because given of your experience in Silicon Valley, how would you assess its sales culture compared to what you're telling here? Yeah, so that, that, that would be interesting. I have a very different perspective, right? I work yeah. in an industry that as much as there is massive opportunity to do better and to implement better policies and treat knowledge workers better, and do make more progress around inclusion and equity and things like that. I still work in an industry that's a lot more progressive than other industries, yeah. which means that my sales teams looked global. There were multiple languages spoken on the sales floor. There were people of different genders. There were people of different races in ways that I hadn't experienced when I did work on Wall Street. Or when I worked in law, those environments were very uninclusive. And I would say that is the experience that I've had generally working in tech. Some environments were more inclusive than others, right? Some companies have more progress that they've made and more resources that they've allocated around designing their teams this way. And then as far as the sales culture, technology was always at my disposal, right? Things like data market analysis, right? Like anytime I would step into a business and start to develop a, a book of business or a territory, I had insights to work with. I had content to work with. I would leverage things like video selling before it became a thing, before TikTok ever existed. I was already inserting video into emails and things like that as a way of personalizing the sales process or accelerating the sales process, right? Rather than having a second or third demonstration, 
I can very easily just do a screen share and send that and answer the question via yeah. email. Right? And that those were tactics and, and tools that I was using all along. And so I think that that really changed the way that I thought about sales. It wasn't about squeezing the fruit. It was about making connections. Can you share a story um, of a customer where implementing your ideas, your concepts really impacted the sales or customer relations positively? Gosh, I'm trying to think of, there's one agency that I work with that I absolutely, I love their team. Their founder is someone that is so hyper-focused on making sure that the customer has the most delightful experience. They're a publicity uh, uh, agency. And um, they have scaled from six figures to seven figures. And in the process, they brought on a team and using a Google Doc, that's how they trained their teams up, right? Which served to a certain point, but when you reach a certain scale in your operations, the thing needs to be more streamlined. And stepped in, got my hands on that playbook, did the needs analysis that I mentioned, surveyed all the publicists and all the reps, and then we implemented a more robust playbook. And then we also developed training around some of the publicity needs of the group so that it made it more turnkey to onboard more publicists as we started expanding, right? So we looked at all the ways of creating leverage and automating the process as much as possible, implementing tools that allowed for that. And now that agency is doing incredible work placing clients in the most reputable media outlets across the U.S., working intentionally to recruit clients that are underrepresented, who might otherwise never have a publicist or you know, have reached out to them or may not have considered publicity for their businesses and are seeing amazing results. And I think that the takeaway from that story is the leader's willingness to change and willingness to try something new and stay the course, right? Because you don't see immediate results when you're making any sort of transformation within business, but you have to trust the methodology and the strategy. You have to trust that with time, eventually the pot will boil. Yeah, I got it. It's very interesting. And uh, you mentioned something that is so important for sales, namely the playbook. Yeah. And the playbook actually is something that is really worked out well. How do yeah. you go into such planning and, and work out of a playbook? And how important is it really for the sales? It's incredibly instrumental for two reasons. Number one, if something works in terms of driving conversions and revenue for a business, a certain way of engaging the customer works, you want to replicate what works as many times as possible in the company. The way you do that is by capturing in detail the process, methodology, and approach. I think that the playbook not only standardizes performance and customer experience, but I think the playbook also is something that uh, alleviates anxiety from everyone's experience, right? The anxiety of a sales rep showing up with confidence, they have answers, they have tools, and they have a methodical approach for controlling and containing conversation. The customer isn't going to be surprised by anything because they're going to have a buying experience where the next step is very clearly articulated each step that they take in the process, right? A playbook allows for that ironing out of that experience on both ends. And so it's going to be really critical, I would say, if you haven't thought about it. Sales is a very predictable process, right? And so if you don't have a predictable process, I would say that's your cue 
if it's not predictable and scalable and repeatable. And that's your cue to implement a, a playbook. Got it. If you had two or three things that would positively influence my sales process, what would those two or three things be? What should I change right away? Or how could I benefit from strategies right away and easy to implement? Yeah. Number one is qualification, right? Think about whether it's the content you put out, the information you provide up front or whatever it might be. You want a person, a prospect, a customer, a business to understand upfront if this is the right product or service for them, if they have the right budget, right? All those considerations, I think they're going to be really important to spare yourself any unwanted loss of time or energy or focus. Let me hook in here, qualification, a very interesting one. So we have one qualification. You mentioned the budget. One thing that is so hard for salespeople, and I fully can understand this, is to get the budget from the customer. How do you do that? You do that up front. So if I were to jump on a call with someone, like you came to me, Norbert, you were like, hey, I've got a sales team. We're not performing where we need to perform. I think we would benefit from having strategy, structure, training, and things in place. And we need this to happen before end of year. Great, Norbert, question for you. You said you want this done by end of year, so you have your sense of time. Talk to me, how much are you looking to invest to get this done? What are your non-negotiables around that investment? Before I ever talk about my pricing, you're telling me, well, you know, I've got $10,000 to get this done. That puts me in a position to say, you know what, I, this is what I can do within that budget, or this budget won't help. The, the only way we'll make impact is at 50,000 plus, and this is why. And so that's how you can avoid a situation where you're backed into a corner is just ask up front, what are you willing to investigate this done? This is what I hear so much from different sales people of the teams that I'm working with. Where they say, oh, it's hard to get the budget. The customer doesn't want to tell the budget up front. They always ask for a quote first. It makes really sense. And it's also the way that I personally, I'm working like this as well, to really ask for the budget up front. It's something I think that needs to be at, at the right time. Yeah? Mm -hmm. You do not open a call with, hi, my name is Norbert. What's your budget? Let's talk. Yeah, you know. So it needs to be the right time, I think. But you're absolutely right. It needs to be before you go into too much discussions because it's just a waste of time if your product, your service does not fit into the budget of the customer, right? Yeah, it's certainly not one of the first questions you ask. It's not, there's a way to build a relationship and yeah. control the conversation with the customer. When you're doing your due diligence during discovery, I teach a flow, very methodical approach that incorporates that question twice. You ask at the beginning and then you ask again as you're wrapping up the call just to confirm details and bookend their interest and their willingness to invest. Mm. But you're absolutely right. You know, there, there needs to be a way of respecting everyone's time and acknowledging that some people just need information. They might be early in their buying process. That's why they can't articulate their budget because they want to see what is what does this require? We're seeing price points at different levels and then they have to go back and consider. But while you have them on the line, you want to understand that process. Oh, I understand you don't have a budget firmed up just yet. Where are you in your process? Are you in the preliminary stages? Great. When are you going to be finishing your research? Great. When are you looking to implement? 
That way you have a sense for yourself, whether it makes it's worth your while to continue to pursue the relationship. Mm-hmm. So I would say slow down and, and just ask the questions while you've got the person on the line. That's good. Thank you. Qualification. Qualification. Yes. Very important. As far as your sales process. I think the other thing is automation, right? Yeah. As much as you can, you want to create leverage. You will get exactly. the same, you will get the same set of questions from a customer, right? If you know your customer segment very well, then you know that they will have the same five to 10 anxieties or hesitations about making an investment in your product or service. And so think about the opportunities to create automations whenever those things come up in emails, you've got your templates ready. Think about creating nurture sequences, right? Within some of your like email cadence platforms, whether you use things like Outlook or Sales Loft or whatever, right? Think about like incorporating all of that into the messages and the engagement. But also be thinking about, I mentioned video selling earlier, like think about also creating a library. If you're selling a product or, you know, there's something that requires a walkthrough or a demonstration and you get 10 questions, typically record 10 videos one time, right? You don't have to personalize them and say the person's name. You can just say, Hey, thank you so much for asking this question. Really important. Let me get right to it. And then just give them the information they need and then make sure that you direct them to connect with you if they have more questions. That's a good, uh, really good hint, I think, for especially SaaS companies where they really have something to show or a software product in general, where there's something to show what you really can do again and again, because the questions really are typically the same, yeah? at, at least some of the questions and for yeah. the rest, shoot the video. So I'm a big fan of those quick video tutorials because also when I sign up for the new SaaS software and I have a question and I get a quick video tutorial, maybe looking like recorded for me, even if it's stock, it is a very personal approach and you feel super important because someone recorded a video for you. It's a good sales approach as well, I think, and a very good tip. Thank you for that. We have two. Do you have a third one? The third one I would say is thinking about your way of either surveying or reconnecting with customers at the end of their process, right? It could be a week after something is closed, a deal is closed or a tool is implemented, right? But you have to create a way to just boomerang and say, hey, what can I either improve or did you enjoy your experience so much that you'd be willing to refer someone else? You want to gauge where they are in their buying experience. You want to allow that grace of like, you know, I had a great experience working with you. Obviously I needed this tool, this service, right? I would have liked it if you responded to me sooner on this. I would have liked it if you held my hand a little bit more during this process or walk through, right? That kind of feedback can then help you to optimize your sales process, create more of those stock videos if needed, implement new templates in your cadences and things like that. So you have to develop a capacity for active listening all the way till the end. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. Feedback is always good. And the question to get a recommendation, of course, is a nice one that exists for many years. And I read it also in the book is, uh, I have the German is Wiemann Freunde gewinnt. Yeah? How to <laughs> win friends is the German uh, name of the book, but I 
do not remember it anymore how it is called in English, but maybe we can refer it later on in the podcast. But it's also there already to get recommendations after the sale. Very important thing. If it's possible, if the product fits, that's for sure a good, a good thing. Yeah, I'm, we are already overdue. So we are already 10 minutes longer than typical podcast lasts. But it's so interesting, Luis. Thanks so much. Give me, give me one last answer, please. Who has taught you the most about sales in your career? Probably my mom, right? In terms oh, of wow. cool. showing up with good manners. And yeah. I think the biggest lesson I learned from my mom is whenever you're invited to someone's home, make sure that you come correct so that you are always invited back. And so that's been something I carry with me in my career. It's whenever I engage with executives, whenever I engage with customers, however it is that I show up, am I making the best possible first impression? Cool. That's great. That's the first time that someone mentioned the mom. That's great. Yeah, really. I, I love that so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time and get some sales done. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye, Louise. And that's it for this episode of the Ecom Ops Podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for Ecom Ops Podcast in your favorite podcast listening app and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time.